listening to The Watchers, a show where two women from opposite ends of New Jersey watch movies about um, child abuse. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. That, yeah. <laughs> I fucked it up. <laughs> but that's what it's about. I don't know that I want, I think the issue with you saying child abuse is that my response to it was to cackle. <laughs> so maybe our first thing in shouldn't be me laughing, laughing at, child at child abuse. abuse. I mean, so, <laughs> have we established ourselves as the kind of people who can laugh at the phrase child abuse and people will know we don't actually think child abuse is funny? I that we think so. the absurdity of this movie is what we're laughing at? I hope so. I, I think the fact that, that you chose this movie as one of the most meaningful movies of your childhood <laughs> and that's still true that still feels that true. we are the type of people that may have um been a bit hardened <laughs> by trauma <laughs> to things like this i literally said this to a friend of mine i was like oh i think i get it like i think i get why andrea and i if i had seen it at this age would have been like not really phased mm-hmm. by like there's one scene in this movie I was phased by and the dog from your texts I got the impression it was also the only scene you were phased by yes oh Andrea are you okay <laughs> I'm fine are, are, are you, you okay <laughs> here's what I'll say before we really jump into it is as I was watching this movie I was thinking about Oh no, that's what I was thinking about. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh-huh. I was like, I was like, I I like the thing we we've done with these last couple of movies where we're not like pre-screening them. They're ones we haven't seen in a long time. Yeah. So we can't pretend this is what we told our listeners to watch The Legend of Billy Jean. And yeah. that's something we had to reckon with in a very different way from we told our listeners to watch Radio Flyer and now we have to reckon with that. Um yeah. I kind of we're like do setting like, traps for ourselves. Truly, because now it's like Explain yourself, and yeah. I'm going to. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I do kind of like that because at first when yeah. I was watching it, I was like, "Oh no, like this is something we're gonna have to talk about." Yeah. Uh oh. But I, I think it's worth, especially if our listeners have connected with us over these last few months. I'm gonna guess we have a lot There's in something common wrong with them too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna guess we have a you lot in common. <laughs> So hopefully the conversation we're going to have today is one that will resonate with them as well. Hopefully. Yeah. So before we get into it, it seems that uh, news on the Yellow Jackets home front has been quiet. So I think we can just kind of jump into it. Um, I would like to, I'm going to ask you, Jody, what your initial feelings were. Um, but first, I was kind of keeping tabs on like, we've been talking about this general vocabulary we've been almost unintentionally building. Yes. Um, and this movie has a ton of it. It sure um, does. We ha- I mean, first and foremost, Elijah Wood. Yes. Um, yes. Tiny, tiny, tiny Elijah Wood with giant mm-hmm. eyes. I, he's, I, I looked it up. He's, he's like five years older than me. Yeah. Um, I, th- I thought he was a little older and just, you know, like made a deal with some sort of wizard who's kept mm-hmm. him young, um, which might also be true, but he's not that much older than me. And I just realized like, I, I know I'm always going to talk about how in love with Elijah Wood I am, but it's mm-hmm. just like there, I was, I would have only been six when this movie came out. And so like, there's really not a time in my life I can remember where I wasn't in love with him is 
is Which like, is so funny because to me, he's always been about five years younger than me. Right, right. And so I, if I had seen this movie in 1992, I would have been 15 yeah. or something. Or so you would have been old enough to see I would have babysat this... yeah. Elijah Wood. And to see this movie more for what it really is than I did. Um, yeah. Which is, which is an interesting thought, yeah. too. Um, there's a station wagon in this movie. There sure is. That's <laughs> in my good, notes. There's a good station wagon in this movie. There's a good station wagon. Let's do a quick recap of the film. You can take it, that one because it's your film. And then um, we'll talk about it. This movie, maybe more than any others, is very easy to recap. Mm-hmm. I will say it's a little too long considering the fact that here's what this movie is about. Woman's husband leaves her. She has two young kids. They drive across the country. She marries a man who at first seems great. He is an abusive piece of shit. He's a he's an alcoholic. And he has decided for some reason that the um, target of all of his anger is the younger of the two boys. Mm-hmm. And these two boys spend their time escaping into this like fantasy world. They eventually decide as, as the violence escalates, they eventually decide they need to get Bobby. He's the younger one away. And the way they do that is by building this radio flyer, this magical flying machine. And we'll get into what I'm about to say now, but if you are just watching the screen, he flies away. Yeah. He escapes at the end of the movie and we ostensibly know this to be true because adult Mike, Mikey, is telling this story to his young sons Mm -hmm. from the present day. Right. Where he says he has continued all of this time to receive postcards from his younger brother. Mm -hmm. That's the movie. Yeah. There's also a dog and a turtle. There's a very significant (laughs) dog. Yes. The dog matters big time. Yes. Shane and Shane um, and there's also a turtle named Samson yes and that's that's mostly the movie yeah right? I think so I think so I mean like there's a significant buffalo there's very significant buffalo that's like staring at me over your shoulder right now which is real <laughs> creepy um, he's well and he's something that I think is really oh, and there's some bullies there's a lot of there... bullying there's it's another movie where there are bullies whose job it is just to, to just be, be bullies. Yeah. So I think there's a lot to talk about this movie that has a lot to do with things we talked about in Yellow Jackets, like in terms of, um, you know, growing up and looking back in memory and all of that. I think that's probably what most of this conversation is going to be. Um, I've done more research on this movie than I have any of the other ones we've talked about so far. But before we get into all of that, what <laughs> what did you think? <laughs> I have two completely separate brains about this movie. Mm -hmm. I have to preface this by saying that I watched this movie on Friday night, took a bunch of notes, did a little bit of research. I don't know why I thought you were going to say something like took a bunch of acid. Like, I really thought you were going somewhere. Well, because last night, (laughs) then I saw the Barbie movie, (laughs) which Uh felt like an acid trip. And so in my brain, this weekend, I had Radio Flyer. (laughs) And the Barbie movie. And I am just... It's a match a, made in I'm heaven. I'm a mess right now. Match made in heaven. I don't know what is happening. <laughs> Although there is... I, I could do a dissertation on the, the theme of the patriarchy that runs through both of those movies. But uh-huh. You haven't seen Barbie yet, though, right? No, not yet. Okay. I won't, I won't go too far into it. I have watched three times now Ryan Gosling singing Matchbox 20. Though... I cannot tell you how perfectly, like, I can tell you, obviously, like, this movie is made for our whatever. Yeah. But, like, 
if you had told me that's all the movie was, that people were paying $18 or whatever it costs to go see a movie now, uh-huh. to sit in a theater for four minutes and watch Ryan, I would have been like, give it an Oscar. Yeah. Give it an Oscar. That's the all I need. cackles from the like 30, <laughs> 35 plus women in the theater. It wasn't a sold out theater, but it was like a mix of young girls wearing pink, which mm-hmm. weirdly touched me in a strange yeah. way. No, I love that. Yeah, And like women my age, I went with two, like a 40-ish crowd of two other women that's not mm-hmm. a crowd group of two other women <laughs> um and myself and the cackles that's during so good. them singing and the looks on the girls faces the barbies faces uh-huh. while they watched the kens sing at them and it's referred to as singing at them i fucking died it's so I died. good it's yeah so good. after it's you see I this need. i think you should see the movie and then we can talk about it a little bit yeah absolutely because it was like i mean we don't need to do a whole episode on a brand new movie that literally every podcast i listen to has talked about in the past right week, but to the point but, where yeah. i like almost didn't want to see the movie because i was like can we stop talking <laughs> you're about like this? i get it yeah but i didn't i'm glad i went um anyway all that to say that i have two minds about this movie i have the mind of myself as an adult Mm-hmm. Watching a movie that is pretty shaggy and um, possibly ill-conceived in its mm-hmm. like choice of ending and its depictions of child abuse in this sort of gauzy. Mm-hmm. We can talk about the specifics of the way that it's depicted, like the fact that the king is never really shown and mm-hmm. all of that. With the fact that I am aware that if I saw this when I was a child. I would have had a very different reaction because I think as we so tellingly joked about at the beginning of this episode, (laughs) if you're a child that grows up with some trauma, um, escapist fantasy like this is really important, Mm -hmm. right? And so like, I'm going to talk about this movie by talking about a book, um, which seems to be a thing that we're starting to do. Uh But there's a book that I loved as a kid called The Gone Away Lake. Um, yeah, you should read it. You'd love it. We're, how are we unintentionally doing a book club right now? Gone Away Lake. <laughs> Gone Away Lake is by I think Elizabeth Enright. Um, yes, it has amazing illustrations. If you get the original version of the book, I would highly recommend not reading it on a Kindle, but like actually buying like a used copy or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I've bought this book for friends in the past. It is an escapist fantasy about a group of a brother and a sister who like find this abandoned Victorian uh, <gasps> lake community. I know, Andrea. Uh, it's I mean, my dream. Yeah. What do you mean? They find this elderly brother and sister at this Victorian lake community that has fallen into disrepair and they have like a clubhouse and all this stuff. And like it is the escapist fantasy of a kid and and there's no trauma in that book it's not about kids escaping from trauma it's just kids being kids right and like finding a place that's theirs oh that's so nice but as soon as i saw the clubhouse weirdly the clubhouse is the thing that got me in this yeah this like safe yeah set aside like the fact that the king never nobody ever gets inside that clubhouse no no like the bullies try Uh uh-huh uh, the king tries nobody gets in yeah and so this the idea of the clubhouse as this little escape like i had this is oh god we could fire off so much of these bridge to terabithia yeah oh totally i mean it was like my whole reading mm-hmm. as a childhood where these like escapist fantasies mm-hmm. of kids getting away from whatever was happening in real life um but that club <laughs> you may end up cutting this this is so pathetic but when i was a kid i lived in this like 
I lived in this shitty little town in New Jersey. Uh, apologies if any of my classmates are listening and they don't think it was shitty, but it was shitty <laughs> for me. Um, and there was a literal tin shack attached to the side of our garage that was mm-hmm. maybe three feet by five feet mm-hmm. that we kept like gardening tools in. I was going to say, right? Yeah. yeah. And that was my clubhouse. <laughs> and I would go sit in my little tin shack by myself. And I, I like hard related to the, the clubhouse in the backyard piece of this. Um, I obviously have lots of like adult critiques of this movie as a, a person who understands plot and story and mm-hmm. construction of these types of things. But I do also have the side of me that as a kid would have got it, would have right. understood like why this movie was like meaningful i would have completely blocked out the child abuse part and just been like (laughs) yeah bad shit's happening fine whatever cool but they're building this thing to get away Uh uh-huh like i I wouldn't have even registered how horrific the child abuse part was as a kid now i'm like jesus fucking christ they put that on film like right yeah i do think it's important to note here this movie is rated Mm pg-13 it was not intended it's not a children's movie right right so but the question yeah a lot of the reviews I, I read, though, were like, but then who is this for? Ex- yes, exactly. Exactly. You know? um, I think it speaks to, and I don't know, maybe this is still the case. I don't think it is. Um, I think it speaks to the fact that we just weren't, like, I watched, there was, I, nobody was paying attention to what I was watching as a, when I was a kid. I think mm-hmm. I think adults kind of thought that, like, if it was on TV, it was probably fine. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Totally. No, no so, like. I was reading Stephen King at like eight years old. So like. Exactly. You know. Um, So I think that like I saw this movie as a kid. It's not a kid's movie. There's a version of this movie that could be a kid's movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. You pull out the really horrific abuse stuff and you just hint at it. (laughs) And you like, you know. There's there's two. There are a couple of ways that this movie could have made sense. Um, And so much of it hinges on the ending. But what I want to do is. I want to talk, and we don't usually do this, but um, I did a lot of reading up on the making of this movie because I was so puzzled by, because the like, one way to look at it is, you know, we went over that plot, the end happens, and on the screen, like I said, he gets away. Mm-hmm. There's, It's really pivotal, though, that at the beginning, and I have the script in front of me, um, Mikey, or, yeah. Um, Mikey voiced as an adult by Tom Hanks, which is important. Um, mm-hmm. He's talking to his son. Unbuild Tom Hanks. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> um, and he says to his little boys, um, remember I told you guys about Uncle Bobby and me when we were kids? I didn't tell you the whole story because I left out a bunch of stuff because I figured you guys were too young. Well, I guess now is as good a time as any. In fact, now it's just about perfect. All right, listen up. But I want you to remember something. Mm. History is all in the mind of the teller. Mm-hmm. Truth is all in the telling. Understand? Yeah. Um, I mean, the whole movie, that sets he, up the whole thing as, like, unreliable narrator, like, you but, know, memory as I, fragments. Yeah, absolutely. He's telling the kids, like, I am either, I have lied to you or I am going to lie to you. But the whole thing is also in this conversation with, but a promise is the most important thing you can, you can make. Mm-hmm. And so... I don't know that what he has lost, like, I, watching it now, I was like, it almost sounds like they, this is a thought experiment for me that I'm trying on, and you're, 
when I give some more background on the making of this movie, you might understand why I feel this way. I almost think there's a version of that where he's delivering that line. And what he means is, I know I told you Uncle Bobby died, mm-hmm. but I'm going to tell you a different version of this story now. So you can understand what I mean when I say truth is in the telling. Right. Um, here's a here's a version. Here's the version that I had told myself all along, like something mm-hmm. like that, because one thing I read, and I'll drop links to everything. I'm kind mm-hmm. of putting together a few different conversations here. Um, one is Elijah Wood on an episode of Dead Eyes, which is a fantastic podcast. If you haven't listened to Dead Eyes, um, it's a uh, Connor Ratliff's podcast mm-hmm. about um, being. Oh, have you listened to Dead Eyes, Jody? Mm-hmm. Oh my god! But I god. like Connor. You will. I've seen, you will. I've heard him in other things. You will love Dead Eyes. Um, so it's about so uh, Connor was cut from Band of Brothers mm. uh, because allegedly Tom Hanks said he had dead eyes. He doesn't know if that's totally true. That's what he was told. I've heard that story elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, the story itself is amazing, but yeah. then the podcast is this really beautiful exploration of. Um, I don't even I don't even want to get too much into it because it's like that's ostensibly what it's about, but it's so not about that. Sure. And every episode is a different conversation with somebody else who has either been cut from something, um, where maybe they didn't understand why, or like he also talks to a lot of different people who were involved with different Hanks projects. And in one episode, he talks with Elijah Wood and the actor whose name I don't know off the top of my head who plays the young Tom Hanks in Big. Oh, okay. So, um, so people who play younger versions of Tom mm-hmm. Hanks, and so he talks with Elijah Wood, and according to a Eli- again, so I'm pulling from a few different sources here. I'll link to all of them in the show notes. According to Elijah Wood, and this would have been the first thing I heard about this because I Dead Eyes is one of my comfort podcasts, so I've listened to that episode more than once. Right. Um, and uh, according to Elijah Wood, the idea of Bobby actually dying at the bottom of that hill mm-hmm. was much more explicit when he signed on. Wow. Um, Interesting. And yeah. And that like for a movie that's not for kids, that makes sense. Right. Then there is something kind almost like there is something more interesting about this movie. If you know that Bobby or if you're supposed to at least infer that Bobby dies, even though Mikey is telling you that he's sort of way. Then it's like a suicide film. Yeah. Which is wild for 1992. I mean, well, actually, we've been talking about the prevalence of themes of like teen and youth suicide in movies from that time yeah like heathers taking Mm -hmm. it from the other completely different angle but like heathers was basically a movie about like you know a supposed rash of teen suicides which was believable because it was such a theme at the time right and this idea that like this child abuse was so horrific that and bobby was so desperate to escape it that death was Mm-hmm. preferable even if even if bobby didn't know he was going to his to to which his is death. a wild thing to make a movie about i mean like right i i do i in my own little bit of research i did find out that like this script was like a hot commodity which is a, well so strange I, there's, well there's so much about that too because then it's like then i read okay so that's the original so the script was written by david mickey evans originally he didn't write it to be that so that like death ending i'll get to that because this is the last piece that i got which made really kind of like put a lot into perspective for me on this movie so elijah wood says actually we're supposed to believe that there that bobby dies at the end Mm. then i read um that Originally, in this movie, 
there's a scene intended where um and i think maybe even shot where they're at the this like arrow those like smithsonian aerospace whatever museum yeah I read this too. Yep. Go and ahead. the radio flyer is on display next to the Wright brothers' first airplane. Right. Or one of their airplanes. And that Bobby like works there or something. Or that Bobby is alive and is part of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I read so, that too. I like that they got rid of that. That is like, because the rest of this movie isn't a fantasy movie. There right. are a couple of elements like the Buffalo that we talked about, but he shows up in a dream like the Bigfoot. Like there, there are a few things like that. Yeah. But if they included that at the end... Then Tom Hanks setting it up in the beginning and being like, everything is a lie that, you know, truth is in the in the telling. But then all of this is true because we go to this place and we see the evidence of it. That doesn't make any sense. It like makes those two things no don't, don't connect at all. Right. So I'm glad that they cut that. Right. But they left it with an ending that was just like, huh? Well, and then I think that's because so David Mickey, so David Mickey Evans this is where it really comes together for me. And this is where the conversation that I want to have with you about what this movie could have and sort of should have been, mm. um, which I think in my head, this is sort of how I watched it as a child. Okay. Is David Mickey Evans wrote the, I think a novella first um, that then he wrote his script from. Okay. Um, and then he was also signed on to direct it. Right. But then was eventually pulled from it. And that's right. when things really started to change. It seems like he was still involved in some of the conversations. He kind of speaks fondly about it, which I am surprised to hear considering the rest of it. Um, but I found this uh, this conversation that David Mickey... Why can't I say his name? That David Mickey Evans had with this guy, Stephen Greenfield. And I'm going to read quite a bit, actually. But you can feel free to jump in. There's just a lot here. So don't... Sure. Don't worry about interrupting because we'll just work through some of this. Um, Stephen Greenfield asks, how did the story change from what you ultimately sold? Were there changes the studio compelled you to make that you perhaps only did because you at the time didn't want to rock the boat directorially? And, That's a leading um, question. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> Evan says, it was softened, which I never liked. And in comparison to a recent film like Precious, seems to have vindicated my point of view. Now, he says it was softened, which makes me think the script was a lot, like, even darker but right well soften could mean that like in his mind you know bobby died right right except no oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah um the most glaring change was the end of the film the original script ended with a reunion of sorts between oh, mike and right. bobby grown up in the smithsonian national airspace museum so that ending was his original ending got it where the radio flyers on display next to the right flyer with the exception that it has no visible means of support no wires nothing it's just hovering in midair proudly so in Evan's movie, it's magic. Right. It's magic. Yeah. Um, They've decided on the supernatural. Yeah. It's the supernatural. It's not trauma. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Mr. Donner's opinion, who ended up, um, Richard Donner ended up taking the directing. Over yeah. The, yeah. Mr. Donner's opinion was that the ending should be a Rorschach test for the audience. I believe that it is entirely wrong. Having said that, he was very kind to me and included me at every stage of production, blah, blah, blah. So this movie on this screen. If I had sat down, actually, let's, I'm going to, I'm going to open this up to you as well. Mm -hmm. If this had been, a, if you were in a test audience and you sat down and watched this movie as is, mm -hmm. do you think you would have preferred the ambiguous ending? So I like ambiguous endings generally. Mm -hmm. I don't think that this one works. Right. For me. Um, I think that 
like I'm I'm fine with the ambiguity. It's one of the reasons I like yellow jackets and don't want them totally. to decide one way or the other. Yeah, we've is talked it about supernatural this a is it drama? Times. Like I do lean towards I think also though, just at my core, I'm like a like realist mm-hmm. as a person and I I do prefer concrete. I, I'm I'm contradicting myself. I'm aware of that. But like I don't think so. But so I like ambiguity, but I also I think tend towards I think the reason it doesn't work for me in this movie is because of the of the not dichotomy, the dissonance between yes. the intensity of the abuse and the lightness of the ambiguous ending. It's like, yes, did he die or did he fly a magical plane? <laughs> it's a pretty wide gap. Yeah. In, in well, ideas for an ending. It's not like it's not like um so again, I, my brain goes to Yellow Jackets because of how we started this. But in Yellow Jackets, it's like, is it trauma or is it there's fucking demons and shit in the woods? It's like this horror or this horror, right? Yeah. In this the, movie, it's like this horror or fucking magical flying machine. Yeah. The ambiguous scenes in Yellow Jackets, it's not like what we learn in the present is all of those scenes. We saw of them at that lake where they had a really nice time and everybody yeah. hung out and nobody died and they just yeah. like everything was lovely. Like right. that wouldn't make sense. No. You need, there needs to be some balance there. Yeah. Um, the, it's just too different of a, like the possibilities at the end of this movie are he dies or a miracle happens. Right. And, and this like, is not... That's that's a big difference. Especially when this movie has no fantasy elements, really. Like, I said the thing about the buffalo and all, but that's in a dream. There's no... Yeah. There is nothing that happens in this movie that requires you to suspend your disbelief at all yeah. until the very, very end. Um, and so it sets up a universe where magic isn't real and then... Right. Asks Even though you he's to believe, talking about it... Like well, he's talking about the seven, you know. Well, this is what's fascinating to me, Jody. Is yeah. so he talks about the seven lost. Also, the voiceover in this movie is so saccharine in in Ugh. some ways that so there's a part I'm gonna okay. It's very Tom Hanks. It's so Tom Hanks. There's a <laughs> there's a line the first the old really I wrote down. I, no like, offense to Tom Hanks. No, of course not. He knows what he is. He says when they're at the carnival, when he's he like, I don't know what, but he goes, I could tell by the look in his Bobby's eyes that night that he knew about a special secret thing that all kids know. <laughs> Only he knew more. A lot more. <laughs> Jody, what? I don't know. <laughs> Jody, what? I don't know. Also, because hold on, hold on, hold on. Also, because hold on. I want to put a pin in the seven lost secret fascinations and abilities of childhood because that is. Everything, everything in this movie hinges on that. Yes. But Tom Hanks, what? Also, Bobby doesn't come up with the idea for the flying machine. Mikey does. No, he just says, so like. He's not the one who has a right. special secret thing that all kids know, blah, 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 blah. So right. that's whatever. I also read a third wild uh, take on this movie, which is that Bobby's not real. We need to get into that okay. as well. We I will. Think what, I think we need to. Hold on. There's so much going on. I meant to, there are several ways to interpret that ending. We have only talked about two. Two of them, yeah. Well, there are like two ways with subways, I guess, below them. (laughs) There's like 1A, 1B, 1B. There's the A train, there's the C train. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Because it's, the one on the screen is Bobby survives by flying away. Mm -hmm. Mikey lives, also, 
The other other thing is that the king does get arrested mm-hmm. at the end. So Bobby didn't need to leave. I know that right. he got arrested earlier and comes back, but like you get the impression this time. This time it's yeah. It's it's because it's this really movie, gonna stick. Yeah. Because this so, movie is of the the genre that all cops are good. And... <laughs> well, it's John Hurd, so I'll right. allow it. Yeah. Uh, no. But totally. uh <laughs> but so 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 that that falls apart too, that if Bobby escaped but also the king was arrested. Like there's right. just no, um, there's that. There's Bobby dies at the bottom of the hill is another way. Mm-hmm. Another other way is Bobby is a creation of Mikey to deal with the abuse that he suffers. Right. Um, right. And that Bobby escaping is Bobby escapes when finally the king is arrested. Arrested. Right. And that, that Mike doesn't need him too. anymore. Right. Right. Because exactly. the king is gone especially because and what i'm about to say now this isn't to say that this doesn't happen and we have heard stories like this before so but it is a little peculiar in this movie that the king never lays a hand on mikey Mm -mm. and in fact mikey asks the great buffalo why why does he beat up bobby like why is it always bobby it's a wild sentence and, and the buffalo says because he can't fight back but neither can mikey yeah, he's only like what two three years older he's right. still a kid yeah and so there's no there's no like ostensible again other yeah. than the fact that like this does happen off, right. like often enough you hear stories about you know there's one child it, that's like the who, chosen right victim um, yeah but it's it does make a kind of sense that that to protect himself, Mikey was imagining like right. it was or, happening to someone else. Yeah. Or the flip of that sort of that he was imagined that he is the sort of Bobby in this and that he's imagining having an older mm. presence who's like trying to protect him either way. Right. Like right, you right, can right. look at that, whatever. Yeah. So all of that. But then who is he talking to his kids about? Then yeah. he invented a brother yeah. that he told them was abused. Yeah, I think disip- it's a, I think it's a stretch. It it fits in some ways, but in other ways, it very much doesn't fit that theory. This is a too many cooks in the kitchen issue, I think. Yeah, and it's a having trying to have it too many ways. Yeah, here's yeah. what would have fixed this movie for me, and it's if you let David whatever Mickey Evans is that his name? Yeah, um, make this movie what he wanted it to be. So, like a full on fantasy. Yeah, because yeah. here are the seven of these lost secret fascinations and abilities. There's that scene where Tom Hanks is narrating them, and, and they, they are, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but they are that animals can talk. Mm-hmm. Your favorite blanket is woven from a fabric so mighty that once pulled over your head, it becomes an impenetrable force field. Nothing is too heavy to lift. Your hand, held forefinger out and thumbs up, actually fires bullets. Jumping from any height with an umbrella is completely safe. Monsters exist that can both be seen and done battle with. Mm -hmm. And the greatest, most special and regrettable loss of all, the ability to fly. Okay. He reads those lines. Yes. Go ahead. What were you going to say? I just have something to say that I just realized when you were reading that. Every single one of those is disproven immediately after he says it. Jody! Jody! (laughs) Jody! Every single one of those. There's a scene disproving each one. However, however, Jody. Okay, wait. What do you think David Mickey Evans wanted to happen in that scene? That they were all true. In the original script, they're real. Monsters do exist. Animals Uh do talk. In fact, all the material with Mike and Shane, the dog communicating, was removed. (gasps) The dog talks 
in David Mickey Evans' beautiful fantasy movie. A blanket is an impenetrable force field. In the original script, when Bobby hops off the roof with the umbrella, he floats gently to the ground. <gasps> that was the point of the entire section, to depict that within their world, all that stuff is vitally real. Actual. It is. It's their reality. Childhood magic, to be sure, but real. Whoa. That's a different movie. All you needed was that scene. Yeah. And then Bobby can fly away at the end, and we can be talking about how cool it is that this movie is ambiguous and lets you believe in a right. world where maybe a child can escape right. a reality like that. Or or if you want to be somebody who, like like you were saying, and I meant to say this a few minutes ago, when you were saying like you were kind of contradicting yourself. Yeah. Of like, I don't think so, because I want a reality where I can believe both things at the same time. Where I can sure. say, like, yes, it's unlikely. Also, isn't it nice that we can, for a moment... You know what I mean? Yeah. This movie doesn't support that. Right. No, it doesn't. So, and, but then why that ending? I, I think don't it makes know. no sense that they I, cut everything yeah. that allows for that ending, but kept the ending. I am yeah. losing my mind right now. I'm screaming. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you're so, you're so invested in this movie. I'm so glad that though. So my concern was we were going to talk about this and you were going to defend it to the death. God, that, no. like everything was great. And that it was like, <laughs> Jody. I know, I know, I know you're an, an adult person with critical faculties, but like, I do understand the impact of seeing something like this as a young kid, right? Mm -hmm. Again, both of these things can be true. This was Correct. hugely important to me as a child. Yes. I understand their issues now. I love that there's a version of this that does work somewhere. It's a shame that they ruined it. Well, and so here's the thing. When those, when that speech happens and he's talking about the seven law secrets, right? And he says, animals can talk. The blanket is the force field. I specifically remember the blanket is the force field. He hits him over the head with something. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Because he has the blanket over his head. And then when Mikey walks away, Bobby's like, oh, that really hurt. Yeah. And I'm like, why did you do that? Mm -hmm. Like, why did you? Why and did again, you? None like, of that makes sense. Disprove it immediately. Especially when Tom Hanks is like, the truth is all in the telling. Blah, 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 blah. And then right. there's not an element of that at all throughout the movie until we are asked to believe that. Mikey and Bobby created a, a magical a flying machine with that works. Some, a propeller on it and some wheels. <laughs> he says in one of the postcards, the radio flyer works great. Yeah, sure it does. <laughs> sure it does. Should we talk a little bit about Fisher? I was just going to ask you if we should talk a little bit about Fisher. I, I think, think we, we should. should. Fisher. I, I texted you during the movie, I think at some point, I was like, oh, the gas attendant guy is Fisher. Because mm -hmm. before they... I got it. Oh, before they Bef showed you the this... name tag and also made somebody say, hey, fish. Yeah. And also showed you the headline of the newspaper yeah. article. Before that. I got it before that. <laughs> they were really worried you weren't going to get yeah, it. Yeah, no, I got before it. That. I got it. Um, also, like, you know, the age thing worked out. But like, I, I laughed about that because you sent me that. And I was like, in my head, I was like, oh, it's a mystery. You're supposed to infer that. And so I almost sent you back maybe with like a, a like zipped emoji. Right. Not realizing, which also you had not realized at that point that they They're going to tell you out. four or five different times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, so the Fisher part of it, I think, I kind of understand why it's there, but I think it also messes with our, is this fantasy, is this reality thing? Because- mm -hmm. It's like, it's something that's very grounded in reality, right? This mm -hmm. kid tried to fly mm -hmm. on his bike. He crashed. He hurt himself. Now he works at a gas station and yep. he limps everywhere. Right. Bobby and Mikey, though, until they meet him are of two minds. One of them thinks right. that was a suicide There's no way jump. he made it. Yeah. One of them thinks he made it. Yeah. Like, Yeah. And again, you know, unreliable narrator, blah, blah, blah. Like, this could be 
again, a part of Tom Hanks's like recollection of it mm-hmm. that he lived and that he was injured and all of that. But like, it doesn't, it feels discordant to me in some weird way. This little like pulling out of the realities, unreality of the two boys and like inserting a different reality from the town from 10 years ago. It just mm-hmm. felt really weird to me. Like, I understand the setup of it as like how the idea gets introduced and all of that. But I just felt, especially when it's like inserted at the end when he's like filling up the tank, I was like, oh, okay. Again, I think the way to do it, and it would have been, well, I guess there are a couple of ways to do it. If the movie you're telling is this boy was abused, he died at the end, but we're letting poor Mikey invent a reality where he escapes to deal with that. Right. Then the version of this is the story about Fisher that the kids told because kids don't know anything. So they don't know like is that he tried to fly away and he escaped mm-hmm. and he made it. And they've been using that this whole time as like motivation mm-hmm. for why their flying machine will work. And then right at the end they meet Fisher and it turns out he didn't escape. No, he's he works at a living. gas station. Yeah. And, and he's got the physical injury that is lasting to prove it. Yeah. <clears throat> then you're like, Oh shit, this flying machine's not going to work. Right. And then when Bobby escapes, you can be like, Oh, how sad for poor Mikey that right. he's constructed this reality. We knew it wasn't going to work. This movie is not a movie where fantasy and magic are real. Right. Yeah. It doesn't That's know what it version. is. It or really does it. Or it's like, the guy that wrote it knew it one way and the guy that directed it knew it another way. I will say, I don't know a whole lot about the director of this movie. Um, I did take a couple of notes on it. Um, uh, Richard Donner? Yeah. Yeah, so he he's says, not... He he directed the Lethal Weapon movies, which is a wild... Uh, yeah, I, I love when something like this, where it's like, how did... But I think he also directed, like, most of what he directed are, like... He worked on The Goonies. He worked on The Goonies. He also worked on Scrooged. Right. Well, and, okay, let's talk about this in relationship to The Goonies for a second. I feel like The Goonies is a take in this same world. It's a story in this same idea of young kids solving problems, sort of weird mystery things happening, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. scary adults, etc., but that movie fucking works. Right. I mean, The Goonies is one of my like all-time loved totally. movies. And I've never once questioned, does it work? Does the ending work? And it has a very fantastical ending, you know? It's well not in the same, not in like the magical, like miracle sort of way, but like Right. That's it's more it is more grounded in its own reality. In a way in that this movie reality. is not. Yeah. That's the thing. It's not grounded in anyone else's reality. <laughs> right. Really. Like, the story is wild. Mm-hmm. But because it knows what it is the entire fucking time and it doesn't stray from the rules of its own world. Right. We buy it the entire time. Mm-hmm. So I think that's... It also This movie feels... doesn't understand its own internal logic. It, yeah, exactly. It's also funny that you say that because I'm thinking about it and like, that movie does feel in a weird way more like magical, even though I don't think there's any there. There's nothing like actually it's fully magical, though. <laughs> right. But like, yes. but it isn't like there's something no. in that movie that happens that couldn't happen in our real world. Right. I'm trying to remember. I, haven't I know seen it in I'm a trying while, to remember, but, too. but I don't think so. But that feels more like again. a more like a yeah, um, more like an adventure fantasy kind of thing. Yeah. 
than this movie does, even though does this the movie explicitly... only have a 7.7 rating on IMDb? Oh, no. That's blasphemy. That can't be right. I also just want to quickly jump to a few other notes that don't have to do with the ending. Sure. Um, because I feel like we could go, like, back and forth about this ending and never come to a conclusion because there isn't one. I wanted to talk about um, the representation of the king mm-hmm. real quick. like a- Adam the, Baldwin. Yeah. No relation. No relation. Um, I think, so the way that they show him is a very significant choice, right? We almost never see his face. Mm-hmm. He's always seen as this looming presence above them, right? He's always shown in shadow almost. The only time I think I remember actually really seeing his face was when he was crying to the wife, the Lorraine Bracco character. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, he's this like almost like demonic. Yeah. You know, he's because, again, this is a movie about monsters. Oh, yes, well, the he's script a is about monsters. Yeah. And so they're sort of depicting him that way. Yeah. I think it's interesting. So he's always playing Hank Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, that's specifically the Jambalaya on the Bayou song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I was like, I think there's a reason for that. And I looked briefly and I remembered that Hank Williams died at 29 after years of back pain, alcoholism and prescription drug abuse. He was younger than I realized. Me too. Yeah, me too. He's somebody I think of him and Otis Redding. I think of Otis Redding is another one. He was part of the 27 Club, Mm -hmm. which Otis Redding, I always think of him. It's because it's sitting on the dock of the bay. This is such a side note. But I always think of him as like an old yeah. an old man. Right, um, sitting on a dock. Yeah. <laughs> he was a kid when he died. So yeah. Sad. Anyway. But so I do think that, yeah, he lived from 1923 to 1953. He was 29 when he died. Wow. And, you know, he was dismissed by the Grand Ole Opry because of his unreliability and alcoholism. So I do so kind of, I know. So I do kind of think that that choice of song was significant mm-hmm. and, and like the way that the king is represented as this sort of like stand in for all like mean alcoholics. Yeah. it That's a weird, yeah. Especially because like <laughs> this movie doesn't take place in the South. It starts in Jersey and it ends up in, they're in california right northern, so, so like, i looked it's northern california because i was uh-huh. concerned as to why they were wearing so many sweaters if they were in southern california <laughs> and that's why yeah they were in northern california okay uh just and, north of san francisco it's a real town and so using hank williams as a sort of like uh, a way to characterize the king yeah uh, that's interesting because he was born in alabama and died in west virginia like it's, uh-huh. it's not a california yeah thing Ugh. um but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I found the way they represented him to be interesting. And I, I say that knowing what a weird and vague term that is, as we have discussed. But like, I, I wrote in my notes at one point, this movie does not pass the Bechdel test. <laughs> is Lorraine Bracco the only woman in this movie? Other, other than, than her, other than the aunt? Yes, I believe so. 
And she has very little. So I think it's interesting to think about her as a character because I will say one one tiny thing not to excuse this in the movie. I am pro women in movies. It is a very small cast in general, and it is very much about these two young boys. So like, yes. whatever. Anyway, but I think for me, the reason I, I noticed it so much was because a we've been watching a lot of female centric media. Mm-hmm. This was the first one in, in maybe yeah. ever that we've watched that has like male leads. Mm-hmm. Um. But also Lorraine Bracco's character in this is underwritten, I would yes. say. It gives her something to do occasionally, right? She's a great actress. We love her from The Sopranos. I know you've never seen it, but, you know, it's part of your heritage. <laughs> she's, I looked it up. She's not originally from Jersey. Which is she's, very sad. She's from like Basking Ridge or something like that, but that's okay. It's all right. We'll forgive we her. Yeah, exactly. She does the accent quite well. Uh-huh. But she's like, she is both a loving sweet mother who works hard mm-hmm. to you know and she's also fully oblivious to horrific child abuse that's that's it, that's it is it's lazy because yes it, it is lazy. lets that's her stay thing. innocent yes. this whole time yes exactly and again i i don't know that i need to like disclaim this i'm sure that there are cases of child abuse where the there is a parent who does not realize it's happening sure I, but i think the more common and more difficult and more honest like version of this is this is a woman who knows that in some or feels that in some way she needs King to take care of her. Well, and yeah. we get a little bit of that when she lets him back in the house after he puts her son in the fucking hospital. Which right. I was like, whoa. But she's broke. They show that. She's got bills. She's like mm-hmm. not, you know, doesn't know how she's going to make it. She's falling apart. And I think... It's a, it's set in which is like the early 70s, I think. Late so 60s, it's even, early 70s, probably. So there's like yeah. even like she has like the options for a single, fairly young, I would say, like early 30s, right? Um, mom yeah. with, with two kids are, are limited. One of my uh, favorite and least favorite statistics is that before 1975, a woman could not open a credit card on her own without her husband's signature. So insane. Which is the year I was born. Um, right. Insane. So, yes, I think she had limited options, right? And but I think they that's don't the- present it. It seems like the first time she even knows of the abuse is, is when he's in the hospital. Right. Which is like, I, f- I find that to be a stretch. In a movie mm-hmm. where a, a wagon flies, I still find this to be a stretch. Like I, I agree. Um, and they, they do include that one scene where after Bobby makes Mikey promise that he will help make sure that she never finds out mm-hmm. and i think that's why we're supposed to be like oh she didn't know there's right. that scene in the bathroom where she's going to help him with his shirt mm-hmm. and you're like oh she's gonna she's and gonna mike see. falls in the tub right? yeah but, but I, I still it makes a, a false assumption about mothers i think mm-hmm. neither of us are mothers we can right. stipulate but i cannot imagine that if the abuse is that horrific and correct me if I'm wrong, well, whoever, but like, <laughs> I just think that most mothers, she's presented as a good mother. Right. Right. So most quote unquote good mothers that are not fully absent from their children's lives mm-hmm. would know something was wrong. Right. right. And it's not to say, and I know this isn't what you're saying either. I may be being a little, um, overly careful about this conversation than we really need to be. That's fair I don't, you're, you're not saying like 
you're a bad it's not that like I'm only, not saying yeah. only bad mothers let their children get abused. Absolutely. Like. No, I, what I'm saying is this movie doesn't understand how a woman would act, think, feel, or be yeah. in the world. Right, right. And I think that like probably they thought that if we thought, if the viewer thought she knew that to some degree yeah. that something was happening and didn't immediately that then we she would... lets him back in the house after he she puts does. her son in the hospital and right. so you know it kind of negates all of that build up of her mm-hmm. being this wonderful mom i do on a completely unrelated note want to point out i was very happy that she worked in a diner <laughs> yep um oh yeah that... you think a, a a nice a nice jersey girl travel across the country the first she's thing she's gonna she find does. a diner yeah, that's right yeah she's gonna call everyone hun mm-hmm also, gonna... her name is Mary. I was like, this is some of this is a Springsteen song. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Mary, Mary gets left high and dry and then meets a guy who, you know, isn't Named actually King. good. <laughs> exactly. It is a Springsteen song. You're yeah. right. Yeah. Finds a diner job. <laughs> yeah. No, there's stuff. I mean, we talk about like how quick can we find the Jersey connection? Um, it, this the first scene this movie <laughs> like they we didn't even do that on purpose i know no they come from jersey um she has the accent in this movie um they get roasted for it by buffalo bill i okay <laughs> to our our few like crossover new jersey is the world slash uh watchers listeners when <laughs> geronimo bill which is a Oh, Geronimo Bill, not Buffalo Bill. Oh, Buffalo Bill is is uh, Silence of the Little Lambs. <laughs> and Geronimo, okay, there's a whole um, sort of critique of uh, oh. the treatment of indigenous oh. themes in this movie that we could talk about. Oh, yeah, but when they when they go to Geronimo Bill's sad roadside attraction with oh, one Buffalo buffalo one weeping buffalo the mikey says to him she says oh we're we're from out of town or whatever and mikey says we're from jersey Jersey. and geronimo bill says that don't make you all bad (laughs) i did mike d and nick steal this (laughs) that don't make him a bad guy come on it's too close a bad guy it's too close anyway um yeah (laughs) i love it so much also this is another scene that feels so out of place in this movie but wouldn't have felt out of place in david mickey evans script Mm -hmm. because this buffalo is weeping which isn't (laughs) like i'm sure buffalo gets sad i don't know that they cry like humans do for being alone um there is so much magical um quote-unquote indian yeah. Uh, imagery in this movie the way this buffalo shows up to like later on with the voice of geronimo bill to deliver a message is like yeah like it's like weird vision like stuff yes but something that i think is interesting about the buffalo is i want to talk a little bit about the giant buffalo um it's uh he's made by um uh like uh an effects um uh, oh my god he's made by like a, a creature creator uh nick lazzarini and his company uh the character shop oh, cool. so they made this giant buffalo um and lazzarini again i'll i'll drop links to all of this this is from character shop's website um 
uh, he worked on stuff like Hook, um, Exorcist 3, Batman, blah, blah, blah. Um, and originally he had been picked for this movie to make this buffalo, but also zombies and a five-armed worm man um, and a bunch of other stuff that, again, points to how much more fantastical yeah, this like movie was supposed monsters. to be. Yeah, like actual monsters. Yeah. Like it, kind of, it would have been an interesting thing. Oh, mm. Something I often think about is, and I, I'm contradicting myself after everything else I've said here, is that like it. Oh, there's also we do see the giant turtle and the Bigfoot creature. Those are in this movie, mm-hmm. um, though both again in full fan like imagination, not right. Right. grounded Clearly in the not reality. Real. Even because though, again, it's negated instantly, right? Yes. So you see Bigfoot, and then you immediately see it's actually the dog, mm-hmm. right? There's no moment where you're like, could that be real? Could right. things be not as they seem? No, it's the dog. And when the buffalo shows up, it's in a dream. All of that. Um, It. I. I like a version of this movie that is faithful to that script where sometimes when we see King, when we see the King, um, it's um, he's also represented as an actual monster because according to David McEvans, monsters are real and can be done battle with. Right. Right. so so yeah so i just wanted to point that out too that like they made it as far as hiring somebody to make these creatures in this movie Um, and not to jump back and forth but i do want to just point out that the actual geronimo who was an apache leader and a medicine man um spent the last 23 years of his life as a prisoner of war to the u.s government like can we i understand this is like 1992 and Mm maybe you know Lots of problematic shit was done and said in my childhood. But watching it now, it definitely, as somebody who, we don't need to talk about my professional life, um, but as somebody who like looks at images mm-hmm. of indigenous people and talks about the ways they were represented as this like mm-hmm. vanishing race, mm-hmm. it just stood out to me as like really like icky and yeah. bleh, bleh. Um, yeah, and just the idea of the buffalo being a sort of stand-in for the, like, yeah, there's a lot that yeah. we were... And yeah. the crying buffalo. Like, it, there's a lot of sort of borrowed... That's what it is. There's a lot of borrowed, and I'm using this term in quotes, like, Indian magic mm-hmm. kind of totally. stuff that is obviously just stolen from and whitewashed and used for whatever mm-hmm. uh, purposes. Underneath, I've got notes about the buffalo. I've got like just one sad caged buffalo. Buffalo is crying. The next line is, in my notes is, I am so glad I don't have kids. <laughs> I think that's when they were singing in the car. It's when they were singing in the car. I worked with kids for like little kids for all of my like middle and high school years. Uh huh. And I like worked primarily with four and five year olds and worked at day camps and taught swim lessons and uh, yeah that was enough that was enough that was enough <laughs> also i had a pet turtle for like six months i also had a pet turtle for not very long we acquired him name? from a campground i don't know i don't remember actually okay like this is illegal but the cabin that i am often hanging out in when we record together yeah from that campground when i was a kid we brought a box turtle home yeah i don't remember where i got the turtle that i had for a brief period of time. I do know that I let him go in like Vance on Park, which was probably a terrible idea. He probably died. Know. Oh God, we didn't know. What was his name? Simon. Aw, cute. Yeah. Samson. Right, exactly. Um, 
Okay. I think one of the things I want to talk about that isn't um, really about the critical feelings that we have about this movie is this Mm -hmm. idea of like, quote unquote, childhood magic. Like the things that you believe in as a kid Mm -hmm. or want to believe in as a kid Mm -hmm. that this movie plays around with. And that I think we're both kind of wishing it had either chosen to do or not do. Mm -hmm. Do you remember Light as a Feather, Stiff as a Board? Of course. I just started thinking of all the things when I was a kid that we thought were like, because the Ouija board appears in this, uh-huh. right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That we thought were oh, like. Oh, and their wish spot is a big deal. Yeah, yeah. That reminded me of um, Gone Away Lake also. There's a Philosopher's Stone theme in mm-hmm. Gone Away Lake that is really awesome. There's a line about the wish spot that is, I'm, I'm so sorry, but I'm just going to read it because it's another example of this movie just... Uh, the things they made Tom Hanks say. <laughs> we finally got up enough nerve to climb that big hill. We called the top the wishing spot because we reasoned that God would have to hear a wish made that close to heaven. We made a lot of wishes up there, but mostly just one. For the king to s- for the <laughs> for the king to stop hitting Bobby. Oh God. Like it's Jesus so heavy handed. It's so heavy handed. It's also E.T. Right. Like it's not E.T., but that ending scene when they fly off on the wagon. This is after E.T. It's just E.T., but not E.T. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, if you found out there was a version of the script where E.T. is actually an abused child that they have like, you know, like isn't actually an alien. He's like, he's just an out of town kid that they like, re- like misremembered or like unrem or however you want to re remembered as like. Oh god! You'd be like, oh yeah, I could totally see it. The unreliable narrator of ET. Uh-huh. The other thing that I think you mentioned this, the, the pressure cooker, the like the thing they make on the stove. I am not one to victim blame two small children. But yeah, y'all yeah. got to keep an eye on the stove when you know the king is going to be home any minute. Yeah. Yeah. Although they do sort of get away with it. Except don't also don't hide the his weapon of choice in the oven. What are you? I know. Guys. Children can be very dumb. <sighs> um, yeah. But who hasn't made a weird kitchen concoction? I oh, remember. Oh, my God. Yeah. We had like a cookbook, like a, mm-hmm. a crowdsourced cookbook from the students in our class in like sixth grade. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, one of those things mm-hmm. that you like bind with a ring binder or whatever. Um, and one of the recipes was butterscotch. And I tried to make it in sixth grade by myself. Mm-hmm. And I burned it, of course. And then I put it in the fridge to cool down, but I put <laughs> to the unburn tray, it. the metal tray on the glass <gasps> shelf in the fridge. Oh no, And yeah. it like exploded, exploded everywhere. Like I did relate a little bit to like being a stupid child and like making a mess of the kitchen. I think all of that is like, feels very real for children, especially when they're like coming up with their, like their substitutes for everything in the recipe because mm-hmm. it's a magic recipe. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I get all of that, but the, one of them's like, oh, I'm going to watch some TV. <laughs> and they totally right. forget. It's like, guys, maybe he has ADHD. Oh, Andrea. No. I'm sorry. Oh, I, no. as a full Am adult, I... I have like left water <laughs> boiling on the stove and gone to watch TV like in the past year. Yeah, maybe I'm projecting my own like. Yeah, it's like a hurt people hurt people thing. Yeah, because you know? <laughs> I have literally like scorched a pot on my stove within the past year. 
Yeah. Because yeah. I put water on to boil an egg and then walked away for like a half an hour. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. So, you know, undiagnosed ADHD was a thing in the early 90s. You know what? You're so right. You're so right. Forgive <laughs> me, Elijah Wood and other actor Mazzello, I think is your last name. Yeah. Um, should we talk a little bit about the because there's some really intense critical reception to this movie. Mm-hmm. There's some funny critiques like the people that hated this movie had a really good time writing about how much they hated this movie. <laughs> Do you have a particular one you want to share? I have I'd love a couple. To hear. Yes. Um, so this is from a New York Times review from 1992. And... It- <laughs> I mean, it's harsh. Uh, Richard Donner's Radio Flyer is one of those infrequent and embarrassing efforts of a perfectly adequate Hollywood director to make the kind of offbeat movie for which he has no aptitude at all. Yikes. That's the only way to explain why this tale of childhood magic winds up being so bleak and gross. 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 Um, He says, Radio Flyer is a memory film, a story told on a sunny sunny afternoon to two small boys to illustrate why it's important that promises be kept. But by the end, though... The story can just as easily be read as a metaphor about a child's suicide, which doesn't seem to have been anyone's intention. Not unfair. But then he says, dealing with this delicate material, he is like someone trying to thread a needle while wearing boxing gloves. Oh, yikes. <laughs> yeah. I um, You just reminded me of something. At the very end of this movie, one of the boys asks Tom Hanks, is that where we got Samson from? And he yeah. says, yes. And they say, do you promise? And he says, yes. Mm-hmm. But Samson was on the radio flyer with Bobby. Huh. So what? Wait. What is being betrayed? What is being betrayed there? Is he lying to the kids or is the whole? And, okay. Like what? I wonder if that's a continuity thing error or if that's a like. Because the kids say, is that where you got Samson from? Is that where we got Samson from? And you got Samson because you found him and kept him. Right. So that's true, I think. Sure. I don't know how else. But so, Samson was on. Which means the radio Samson flyer. wasn't on Radio Flyer because. Either. Radio f- yeah. It never happened or. Right. Yeah. Okay. Or he didn't make it on the plane. But why would you say that it did only. Right. For it to, right. 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 Interesting. Um, Probably a continuity error, but also a very big one if it is. And who knows with this movie? Like, why would you include that line doesn't like who cares? Right. Except you made me care by including it. And so I think the way like I'm working through this because I did. I kind of just saw that and then went, huh, we'll talk about that. Um, And it it feels to me like Tom Hanks in that scene, the way he plays that scene, the kids say, do you promise? And in my head, I'm like. He knows he's lying and promises anyway. Right. And so is the the lie in that promise part of the the truth is all in the telling and it's okay. Like the like are we supposed to think like, oh well the promise is still real because it ma you know what I mean? Like or are we su- like it's another uh, it's another bit it's of so evidence strange. that this movie is too many cooks, too many hands, mm-hmm. not on the same page about what this movie is actually about. Yeah, because you didn't need to include that line at all. Yeah. So another great um, negative review that speaks to this. 
about the director. It says Donner has a reputation for manhandling scripts and you get the feeling that beneath his stalker movie techniques is a real movie with a genuine feel for its characters and its subject. Having yeah. stomped on the accelerator in the Lethal Weapon movies, he may have had he may have his gears locked permanently in overdrive. At any rate, his touch is lethal. Yikes! Harsh, but yeah. but yeah, yeah. I think that's totally fair. Yeah, yeah, totally. To- I agree. I, I I'm trying to think about it generously, and yeah. I think there's a like there's a I can imagine a conversation where they start making this movie that's going to be this really like escapist fantastical movie where the dog is like Mikey and Shane are talking to each other mm-hmm. and you see these scenes of them flying around with umbrellas and they're like but also it's a movie about child abuse and pretty horrific child abuse and maybe we need to be a little more grounded maybe it does a disservice to actual cases of abuse or to right. even the case in this movie I mean I would so argue it still it. does though I 100% agree. Like that's I think the <laughs> issue that a lot of people had with this movie was like the the setup is so horrific and the yeah. ending is so not dealing with that at exactly. all. Exactly. Like it it is a weird that's what I mean is that, like I may like maybe that's how it started. Maybe yeah. that's how they started taking the shine off of it, but right. they didn't fix it. They made it worse. Right. And obviously I don't know if that is actually how it happened or not. I have no idea. Um, yeah. I'm just again trying to imagine how this ends up happening and yeah yeah it it's so funny this is what i mean when i say i have two minds about this movie because part of me is like thinking about and seeing all of these weird errors and and misfires and critical things and yet i still understand the need for and again it's not a children's movie but the need for children to have these escapes like mm-hmm. when I was a kid I was really into Harriet the Spy um, and <laughs> Jody. my mom Jody. recently told me a story of the time when she couldn't find her typewriter and she found me with it in a tree <laughs> and I've recently realized that I think I was spying on my neighbors and writing about them <laughs> so like I do get the sort of childhood magic of this whole thing as well while I'm being this critical. I kept thinking about while I was watching this and thinking about it, that ending, again, I love an ending like that. We love Yellow Jackets, like you said at the top of this episode. Because of the ambiguity. Yeah. My my absolute favorite book has all, like has never not been The Little Prince. Oh. And the end of that movie, the end of that, I mean, that book is about a man remembering getting stuck if you've never read the little prince it's a children's book you read it in 45 minutes it's a yeah i read it i I don't have like a literal memory of it but Um, i do i did read it well i'm gonna spoil it for you and our listeners okay great i would say skip ahead a couple unless (laughs) you want me to not spoil it for you no please spoil Um, it it's i said i said it's a children's book you can read in 45 minutes it's a children's chapter book it's not like a so it would take you a little bit to read it um but it is absolutely beautiful and it's about a pilot who crash lands in the desert and while he is trying to make repairs on his plane a little boy approaches him um and starts recounting how he got there and this little boy says i came from an asteroid um i i i uh i have it was me and this rose were the only two things on this asteroid and i flew away um by uh 
lassoing a, a, a small flock of birds because I need to find something to protect her. And he tells all these um, fantastic stories about different planets he landed on. And it's very magical. And also there is a snake who tells the little prince, when you want to return to your planet, I will bite you and you will be sent back. And the pilot believes that the little prince will, if he gets bitten by a snake, will die. Mm -hmm. And the little prince believes that he gets bitten by a snake, he will get to go back to his home planet. Right. In the end of the book, the little prince gets bitten by the snake. The pilot sees him fall, but then can't find his body. Right. And so you get to live in a world where... Yeah. Is this man remembering, I mean, is this a hallucination? Right. Is this man remembering a little boy who gets bitten by a snake and dies in the in the desert? Is there a possibility that he was bitten and returns to his home planet? And all of those things exist in all same, at once. Right, right, right. And, yep. and, and the book is framed, again, like I said, he's speaking from adulthood. And the whole first chapter of it is talking about how the imagination of a child is like so much more expansive and... And like generous than that of an adult. Mm -hmm. And so it sets you up in the same way that Radio Flyer does to be living in both of those worlds. Right. It's a very similar thing. Um, the, the, like con the like construct or whatever of the narrative is very similar and allows for the ambiguity to exist in a way that you and I both find very satisfying. Yeah. And I think the point you're making is a good one, which is that this has been done before mm -hmm. successfully in other mm -hmm. media and other sort of movies and books and things. This balancing of the fantasy, imagination, childhood part, and the reality and leaving you to like be in that gap, but in a way that doesn't feel disingenuous or yeah. uncomfortable, mm -hmm. you know? And here, I think, I wonder, I was wondering when I was watching this, if this would work better if the contrast wasn't so stark. So like in Goonies, <laughs> to come back to Goonies, mm -hmm. the setup is that they're going to lose their house mm -hmm. because a like a country club is coming in right right if the setup here was less horrible if it was not like horrific child abuse that they're trying to escape mm -hmm. I like i just think for me the contrast is so stark yeah that it's hard to reconcile and i i know this is me being me and the percentage of people who are going to agree with me the thing that pushes this movie over the edge with that is that he almost kills a dog yes <laughs> like, you don't include that in a like i was so, so upset yeah i was so upset and he almost kills the dog as punishment for the boys because yeah. he does it he thinks shane is dead um and says like don't ever touch my tools again um right which is like you know animal cruelty not that it's okay to hit kids <laughs> Right. I don't mean that, We've but I mean like this. It's so intentional when you include somebody just, being. Do you know what I mean? I do like, because in Yellow Jackets, uh, <laughs> Tawny Cypress's Ty. character nearly kills her wife, and you are still more upset about the dog. Well, because that dog is innocent. I that know. dog did not choose. That dog didn't marry, marry Ty. You know. Yeah, I, I would. I would like to point out that before I found out that the dog, um, didn't die. I texted you and said, oh, God, please tell me he doesn't kill the dog. Andrea, God damn it. Jesus, I would have killed you if there was a dead dog and you didn't warn me. <laughs> because there's a period of time where you think he did kill the dog. Yeah. And, and in you my didn't head, text me back. Well, because in my head, I was like, 
wow, I blocked that out entirely. Yeah. I can't imagine that I would have blocked it out entirely if, if the dog did the dog. die. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I didn't want to, but yeah. Yes. And you said I would never have made us watch it if the dog died, which I appreciate because right. I literally went to, which for those of you that aren't aware, there's a website called Did the Dog Die? The, I had to double check. That's what I did before I texted you. Yeah. I also went there. Uh huh. Um, where you can look up movies. Um, it's another thing too this is so little but he beats that dog so severely that we think the dog is dead and then they and get that dog fine. he's fine and somebody wraps him in a bed sheet I'm guessing the boys yeah. like wrap him in he's like when they're on the hill he's like in a sling kind of yeah um, it's it's very like you can't yeah he looks almost get, dead and then he's kind of fine he's mostly fine Um, I would like to point out that did the dog die is a gift to those yes. of us that have some triggers for movies yes because if you're not aware of it, there's 160 categories. It's not just about dog it's death. It's not just, it's the one I use most frequently. Yeah. But. Yeah. But like you can search for amazing. movies where there is cannibalism. Mm -hmm. Where there is. Which is great because that means if you're looking for movies about cannibalism. <laughs> right. Right. And you can pin categories that are important to you. So a dog dies. There are, so also for phobias, like there are sharks, there are spiders, um, animals were harmed in the making. There are bugs, a pet dies. Um, lots of like warnings for animal abuse, mm -hmm. but there's also like human warnings. And I will say that my dad died 12 years ago and I got tricked, not tricked. I don't think this was intentional, but I ended up watching a movie where like within two months of my dad dying, where a father dies. Oh, Jesus. And I was like, I need to know these things like, yeah. in advance. Yeah. You got to tell me. That. Yeah. Yeah. There's a website for that. So I'll link, I'll link to it, but it's, it's literally just does the die, does, does the dog, the dog die com, die. right? Yeah. 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 Um, but, but I'll link to it. It is a wonderful resource for yes. tenderhearted people. Yes. Um, I'd also like I, to say that I don't mean that in a judgmental way. I'm counting myself among no, tenderhearted people. I think that's a compliment. Um, Roger Ebert also hated this movie. <laughs> what did he have to say? Um, he said, it seems to be asking, how, he says, one of the things I resisted was the movie's almost dog-like desire to please. It seems to be mm -hmm. asking, and this speaks to your Tom Hanks and his uh, saccharineness, how can anyone dislike a movie that is against child abuse and believes little red wagons can fly? I found it fairly easy. <laughs> <laughs> the movie pushes so many fundamental <laughs> questions under the rug of its... Com convenient screenplay that the happy ending seems like cheating if not like a fraud totally yeah really and it is wild to think that like it was even the the i huh, that their way of dealing with that was to make what am i trying to say was to scale back on the believability of the ending rather than increase the believability because that scene at the aerospace museum makes no sense in this movie yeah if like imagine imagine yeah. if that happened and then the last scene was them meeting up with bobby and there is a flying like a hovering radio flyer in the smithsonian how why what conversations about flight are happening yeah in the greater universe of right. this movie if right the radio flyer works yeah like also they're at an airport in the beginning of this movie and so yeah. like if if magical hovering flying machines exist like you would think that would have an impact on standard air transportation totally totally like there should be yeah exactly so like instead of fixing that they just made the re they just like instead of 
building a universe where the ending they want you to believe in makes sense. They just root like, like, do you know? I don't yeah, even know. I know I'm like struggling here, but it's because no, no, it no. Doesn't... I know what you're trying to say. Instead of making a film where the universe supports the ending, they just kind of left the ending hanging and yeah. didn't tell you what they thought the ending was going to be actually. Yeah. Be. And I don't think, and uh, yes, and I don't think, because we're like, oh, it's supposed to be ambiguous, but it's sort of not. Like, right. It's almost, because Tom Hanks, like, in Tom Hanks's mind, it's not ambiguous. He's getting postcards from Bobby. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Roger Ebert also writes, who is this movie made for? Kids? Adults? What kid needs a movie about a frightened little boy who is at the mercy of drunken beatings? What adult can suspend so much disbelief that the movie's ending, a visual ripoff from E.T., inspires anything <laughs> other than credulity? <laughs> It was one of the hottest Brutal. in town. Yeah. If somebody at a story conference, this is the killer line. If somebody at a story conference didn't describe this movie as child abuse meets Peter Pan, they were missing a bet. Wow. Wow, Roger Ebert. Uh, what a and your cranky, Pulitzer Prize for distinguished criticism. Man. Yeah. Oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah. Yep. So funny. He says at the end, there's an 800 number you can call if you want information on child oh. abuse, which I noted. <laughs> I uh, did see that, too. <laughs> I imagine the volunteers at the other end would have some pithy observations about this movie. <laughs> wow. That is so funny. Um, what year did... Hold on. This is important, too. Oh! Um, Runaway Train, the Soul Asylum. Uh, <laughs> it might also be the album, but the the song in particular came out June of 1993. We were oh. really kind of obsessed with uh, yeah. like child um, endangerment. That's about missing children, not abuse children. We but... were. I mean, the milk carton kids and like. Well, and we've talked about this so much on New Jersey is the world. So I'm not you, like you and I aren't having a new conversation here, but it is something I noted in this movie is that like, yeah, children were missing and we were afraid of them being stolen, but we also were not paying attention to them at all. No, like Bobby and like, Mike even says like they're crawling through pipes and I was like yeah that's 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 real you guys learned that in Jersey yeah Um, like I spent a lot of times crawling through pipes as a kid yeah and it's like it it's so funny because or you know Mikey Mikey says we we figured out the way to protect Bobby as best we could was like we would leave first thing in the morning and we wouldn't get home until right before dark which is like I was kind of told I was like go like see you at dinner time um and so yeah that was like, normal both of those things like yeah no wonder we were concerned that children were going to get stolen because we never knew where the fuck they were right so like it is it's just interesting that yeah but it all was, of this was happening at the same time we've talked about how that time felt super dangerous for mm-hmm. kids and also lawless and also mm-hmm. like you you would be gone for all the daylight hours yeah they were like stealing lawnmower motors from like abandoned so and they and said the guy was knew. dead how did they know the guy was dead um yeah, who, who, but who like knows? they refer to it repeatedly as they went on expeditions. Mm-hmm. And I actually really loved that because I it's, feel like that's what we would call it. Even yeah, though we were, the expedition like going was, on adventures. Yeah. The expedition was like walking down some train tracks and mm-hmm. like, you know, that's what I, I mean. So much. There's like really sweet stuff in this movie yeah. that really could have worked if it were handled differently. Yeah. The critics hated this movie. I get it. I get it. I want to read one more. This is the last one I'll read. This is from the I LA. love this. Read them all. They're this so is amazing. 
Um, this is from the LA Times, again, in 92, when it was released by someone named Kenneth Turin. He says, coming across radio flyer is like stumbling, stumbling on a massive pile of debris in some desert locale. Are these the ruins of a once great and promising city, the traveler wonders, all that is left perhaps of a previously thriving civilization? Or was there never anything but junk here in the first place? Whoa. Wow. Yikes. Wow. That's hysterical. Oh my God. Yeah, he calls it a well a well-meaning failure, a muddled fantasy about child abuse that ponderously <laughs> attempts to combine the grace of legend with the earnestness of a public service announcement. Oof. That right? is... I think I I do think and it is troublesome. I think this movie is well-meaning. I yeah. think that's correct. Yeah. And is in a weird way a problem. Yes. I fully agree. Like I don't think the movie thinks cuz there are mo like movies and shows and like we talk about trauma porn as a real thing of like where you're just trying to like sort of cash in on mm -hmm. exploiting a character. Like I guess exploiting isn't the right word, but you know what I mean of like you're really exploiting the viewer yeah. connection to a character where it's like if you put them through enough bad stuff they're gonna but I don't I don't think that's what this movie is trying to do no it does feel like it's it was well intentioned and I think that comes from the original script not well, necessarily the, the treatment of it by the director yeah though I do think the fact that David Mickey Evans says like Richard Donner Richard Donner was kind to me like I don't get the impression that Donner was like I know how we'll make a million you know what I mean sure. like yeah I was gonna say a million dollars off of a movie like it's I think I think the script ended up being like 30 million dollars or something or the film uh, right budget. and apparently he really wanted this to direct this film mm -hmm. like it wasn't like he was like cynical about it right that's what I mean it all yeah. feels like it comes from an earnest place all around weirdly right. it just yeah he says doesn't work at the end of this article, he says his strong meaning Donner, his strong desire to direct Radio Flyer indicates that he believes that he has a light magical touch as well. The kind Steven Spielberg showed in E.T., but he clearly does not. But then also he directed Goonies. I know. So he clearly does in some ways. Like, yeah. Although I guess, I mean, one one thing that is important about Goonies is those kids are much older. Like, yeah, I, I think that does make a difference. Like, and it's not it, playing with fantasy in the same way. Right. Exactly. It's, it's all in for everything that happens being fully real, mm -hmm. you know, and so that simplifies things a bit. You're not balancing the same issues right, right, that exactly. you are here. You're also not dealing with you're dealing with economic issues, not mm -hmm. like the parents in that movie are, if I remember correctly, quite sweet. They're not abusive or weird in any way it's like yeah, just I think so. the the villain is the developers which is a much simpler and easier lift totally in a yeah. film i don't know man i will say i feel like my big takeaway from this movie was like oh little andrea i know me too like oh <laughs> what was wrong with you <laughs> no like i get it i fully i mean i was typing in a tree <laughs> I was up a tree with a typewriter. Like, I get it. <laughs> you, that's what I mean. Like, I think I probably watched this movie with the, like, I watched this movie the way David Mickey Evans would yeah. have wanted somebody to watch his movie. Yeah. Totally. Despite the fact that the movie does not. Right. And probably if I had seen this, if I hadn't been allowed to watch this until I was 13 because of the rating, I there's no way like yeah. I just I would have been like this movie is you would have like, been too cynical doing? at that point yeah to really buy into it 
Well, that's why Fisher can't. They say he can't fly. He was he was fourteen, so he right. was too old for the magic. Right. So is there a perfect age to watch this movie at a perfect level of like childhood trauma to be okay, well, able to was... bypass the worst right, parts? Yeah. Yes. I would say the Wild. answer to that is yes. Is yes. Yeah. And it's however old I would have been. I'm sure that I'm sure that when how I wonder how old I would have been when I saw this because I don't think I guess I could have seen it. We watched. We went to the movies a lot when I was a kid and I saw a lot of movies. Like, I don't think my mom was like, or my grandparents, whoever I would go with, were like reading reviews beforehand. Right. I think we just saw whatever was whatever out was there. Yeah. Um, and so there's a good chance I did see this in the theater, though. It's also possible I saw it. We rented it, you know, when it came out or whatever. Yeah. Um, but either way, I was much younger than like 10. I was probably seven or eight at the oldest when I saw this movie. So. Right. The number of times in my notes, I asked the question, is he dead? My my notes are chaos, but within the first few lines I wrote, is his brother dead? A few lines later, is he dead? And then were a you, number of other times. Were, were you questioning, like, in this scene, did the child die? Or were you questioning, like, is this a movie about a man Talking telling himself the fiction brother. of a living no, brother? No, no, no. Yeah. It was literally, like, before I knew any of the fantasy elements or anything, it was like, Tom Hanks is talking to his kids about his brother. Is his brother dead? Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he flew away and traveled the world. Right, sure. Okay. Somebody, I read I read something, I'm going to throw this out, and I think, again, this isn't what the movie intended. It's interesting to think of it, though. If Bobby, if Mikey created Bobby as a way to deal with the violence that he was right. um, receiving. It's definitely um, not the, the intention of the no. movie, but it's interesting that because they couldn't settle on what this movie was doing, it leaves room for that interpretation. Yeah. And there's a scene that this person pointed to that I was struck by when I was watching it, but I just, there was so much going on that I didn't spend any time unpacking it at the time. But when I read this blog, um, which mm. I think is. That's where I found this too. About the scene with the the bullies when he goes to play football mm. um so this is ramblingfilm.blogspot.com this is from an art, uh, a post in 2010 they point to a particular scene and it's the one when mikey when bobby gets a fairly severe beating it's when mikey leaves to go play football mm -hmm. with the bullies for some reason it yeah. makes no it makes no sense don't trust the bullies dude what's wrong with you Right. They're it makes no sense. You. Exactly. But somebody said, so this person wrote, I've heard theories that when Mikey is being beat up during the game of football, he is playing with the neighborhood kids. It's just his way of handling the beatdown from the king. Oh, interesting. That it was so that he couldn't that it was such a severe beating that he couldn't. Right. Uh, like dissociate or distance yeah. himself from it. So he had to create in his memory or in the moment, whatever, another reason for it. Interesting. Because they're both being. Yeah. At the same time. At the same time. And something else is that you never, other than that first scene on the fishing trip, the first time the king hits Mikey, or the first, Bobby, yeah. the first time the king hits Bobby, you never actually see him lay hands on Bobby the rest of the movie. It all happens off camera. Right. Um, so it's interesting that the only time we really see any of the kids receive any physical violence is from the the, the bullies the bullies yeah no that is interesting and i think it's funny that like 
you could really support this theory with a lot of evidence from the movie. And I don't think this is at all the intention of the movie. I know. But you can definitely make it work. It makes me want to teach this in a class where I tell students, like, authorial intent doesn't matter. Like, yeah. Yeah. For our purposes, if you want to analyze a film, if you can find textual evidence, you can you can make that claim. Yeah. Like this movie is a perfect example of that. I know. And you can I talk also... about whether or not the author was successful in what they were trying to communicate, but that's right. a separate conversation. Yeah. I also think you could do uh, a class on the this being the inverse of the Barbie movie. <laughs> <laughs> Say more. I don't know if I can. Um, I haven't. I haven't. I haven't gotten there yet. I only watched the Barbie movie last night. We'll, we'll check back in next week. Well, because the Barbie... Okay, wait. The Barbie movie is a female-driven movie where mm-hmm. the patriarchy is gone in Barbie land, but not in the real world. So it's engaging mm-hmm. with ideas of the patriarchy, uh-huh. but it's from a female perspective. Um, and the female characters are dolls, but are somehow more fleshed out than the woman in this movie. I, I, I could get there. I could get there. I love this. The patriarchy hurts us all. Jody, you're, so Jody's argument is that the Barbie movie is a direct response <laughs> to the issues raised and created in and by Radio Flyer. Okay, there's no child abuse in the Barbie movie, just <laughs> FYI. Are there's there any me- children in the Barbie movie? Yes. Okay. The main child in the Barbie movie is a teen, an early teen, like a 14 gotcha. or 15 year old. Gotcha. Yeah, I won't say any more than that. I don't want to ruin it for those that have yet to get to see the Barbie movie. Um, I'll make a plan to see it this week. I would say maybe listeners, if you're planning on seeing it, you should also see it this week and maybe we'll talk about it a little bit. We'll see. We'll see what happens next week. I do think that there's some interesting, like some of the things we've talked about in our other conversations about movies and, and about Yellow Jackets, about female protagonists and things like that. And the patriarchy you know mm-hmm. I, I i feel i'm so tired of saying that fucking word but there's just no other way to describe it in shorthand yeah um does it does interesting things greta gerwig does interesting things with this in the barbie movie i think um cool. i don't know that it's always successful but i like i said in my text to you i fully enjoyed it and laughed a lot I there's saw... some really great visual gags in it too I saw a tweet that was like people are criticizing the Barbie movie for being like intro to feminism, like 101. Yeah. But I think a lot of people need. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So like- I mean, the way that they really kind of like lay it on thick in that movie, there were two kids next to me, two apparently sisters who were like, I would say maybe 15 and 12. And I was like, the, yeah, yeah, it's for this you. This is for you. Like, this is a nice way of laying it out for you that you will understand. You won't get all the jokes, mm-hmm. but you know, but that's okay. That's okay. You'll hear the 40 something women laughing at the, you know, guy playing the guitar at them. <laughs> and then someday a guy will play a guitar at you and you'll get it <laughs> because you know, that's going to happen to those 15 and 12 year old girls. Someday a guy is going to play a guitar at them. It won't be Ryan Gosling though. No. I love him. I I know everybody does. I know, but I love him so much. He's so in on the whole joke, like oh, to the yeah. point where it's like he's playing with it in such fun ways. Mm-hmm. It is almost a shame that the Barbie movie is sort of like has become the 
Ken Ryan Gosling movie, though. I will say there is something a little like hmm, about I was that, just but... listening this morning in my tradition of recommending other podcasts. I was mm-hmm. just listening to Las Culturistas, this, Las Culturistas this morning, and they're talking about this exact thing about how Margot Robbie is fucking incredible and carries this whole movie and is the most perfect person you could ever imagine to play this role. She's so mm-hmm. incredibly good at it and she carries it. And she just like the physicality that she produces and all of this. She's amazing in it. And everybody is like, Ryan Gosling. And it's like, yeah, he's great. But she is the whole movie. Mm -hmm. And she carries it in such an amazing way. Like Margot Robbie is perfect in this movie. She also seems lovely. Yeah. She's also the most physically perfect for this (laughs) role. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Like this movie just loves looking at Margot Robbie's face. Uh huh. And like, so do I. Like, it's a it's a perfect. Marriage. She has this is a she has a very kind face. Like, I feel like I trust her. Does that make sense? Yeah. Every interview I've seen of her and 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 Ryan, but of her, she's been so. She seems so genuine and warm. Yes. Um. I one of my I don't know if I've have also, I talked Kate about Kate McKinnon is in this fucking movie. Oh uh, yeah, I love Kate huh. McKinnon. Yeah, she's she's great too. She's weird, Barbie. Um, I realize. She has suffered a little bit by being so directly connected in my mind with Ellen DeGeneres because she does that incredible impression of her. Yeah. But Ellen is such a I know. sack of crap. Yeah. <laughs> That's not Kate McKinnon's fault. I have to remind myself sometimes. Yeah. But my like gut reaction when you said Kate McKinnon for half a second was like, oh. And then I was like, no, wait, I like her. No, you she's like great. Her. <laughs> her weird Barbie is. I- I'm excited for you to see this movie. There's so many fun visual gags in it. We'll definitely talk about it. it a little bit, even though it's been talked to death already. Um, I think that's okay. Uh, yeah. People haven't heard our take on it. So. No, I'm sure there's a Victoria novel that we can connect it to. <laughs> or a children's book. <laughs> I do need very you to good. read Gone Away Lake, though. I will. I'm like very okay. excited for you to read that. I might go reread it. Maybe that'll be our somewhere. first book club book. Just kidding. <laughs> Someday. Someday I, it's going to happen. I have a copy hey. somewhere. Listeners, when we have five million downloads, yeah. um, we'll start a Patreon. Oh God! And it'll be a book club. So just get to listen. Okay. Yeah. Tell your friends. Get us to five million million downloads. downloads. Get us that sock money. That's right. Oh, I want that Bombas money. Ooh, ooh, I want them Bombas socks. I don't even <laughs> want the money. I just want the socks. My brother got me those for Christmas one year. They're so good. They're they're great socks. This this podcast is not sponsored by Bombas. It's not sponsored by anybody. No. But we like those but it, socks. But it could be. It could be. Um, okay. Have we said enough about this movie? I think we have. I think we really kind of like pulled apart the most important, but also like the most specific to us parts of this movie. Yeah. Um, and if we missed anything, Tell let us. us know. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to hear from other people who watched this movie who hadn't seen it like me and watched it mm-hmm. as an adult and were like, I, I would love to know other people's reactions to it because mine was like more complicated than I thought it was going to be, especially the first like I watched the first 15, 20 minutes of this movie and I was like, oh, no, Andrea, <laughs> but I'm I got so it. Sorry. No, no, no. I got it. I got it. All right. So I think so that was Radio Flyer again. Would love to hear from everybody. Um We'll tell you where to find us at the end of this episode that we're pretty easy to track down. Yes. Um, we'll do our little bits of housekeeping. I have one review, a really lovely one I want to share. But before we do all of that, 
Jody, do you want to let us know? You're already laughing what we're going to watch next week. I'm Which, laughing. Be- let me ask. Well, hey, before, okay. let me let me set you up. Okay. Which movie exploring themes of <laughs> trauma and child abuse and alcoholism did you pick for us to watch? That's what I picked. So now it's your turn. Which one did you pick? <laughs> so I picked a movie about dancing. <laughs> Good. I think. I picked a, a movie about girls and dancing and, yeah. and TV dance contests. Um, I picked Girls Just Want to Have Fun, Andrea, which I'm so excited that you haven't seen. Boys just want to escape their alcoholic stepfathers. And girls just want to have fun. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. So this is where our generation gap actually comes in handy. Yeah, I know. If you had asked me what I know about this movie, I might have said Sarah Jessica Parker's in it. I think I did know that. Right. I think that's now I know a little bit more because I just Googled it, but that's it. So set us up. Okay. So I'm not going to say too much. Mm -hmm. Girls just want to have fun. 1985. Billed as an American romantic comedy dance film, (laughs) which is a category we all clearly know and love. (laughs) Sarah Jessica Parker, Helen Hunt, and Shannon Doherty. Another so, Shannon Doherty. Yeah, another Shannon Doherty. This is very young Shannon Doherty playing the annoying little sister character. And now is Christian Slater also in this one? I can't believe it, but no, he's not. <laughs> um, very sad about that. Yeah. But it is a romp, I would say. Ooh, love a romp. It's a romp. Last um, week was a hoot. I yes. don't know what this week was. Next this- week's a romp. <laughs> Last week was a hoot. This week was depression. And next week is a romp. Um, yeah. Last week was a hoot. This week was a, huh? Yeah. And next week is a romp. Yes. Um, and so this is sort of the 80s version of Dirty Dancing, I would say. Um, even though Dirty Dancing, I think, came out in the 80s. But this was like the 80s. Wait, when did Dirty Dancing come out? When is Dirty Dancing set is the That's the thing. So that's what I'm trying to say. So Dirty Dancing came out in 87, actually. So maybe this is, maybe Dirty Dancing was inspired by Girls Just Want to Have Fun. I don't think that's the case. (laughs) Um, But Dirty Dancing was set in the 60s, I believe. Mm -hmm. This is an 80s movie set fully in the 80s. Um, So if you're excited. You can tell by Sarah Jessica Parker's hair, I think, on this cover. And it's also a sort of Catholic school girl, like rebellion kind of movie there's nuns in it like there is televised dance contests which if you're not a child of the 80s i hate to tell you was actually a thing a whole thing like dance party usa was a television show i watched with my friend amy when i was growing up um so yes if we if we depressed you this week um hopefully also it was enjoyable because i enjoyed talking about it Um, It's my favorite way to be depressed. Yeah. Yeah. So next week. um, You guys, you found us because you like yellow yellow jackets. jackets. I think most of you are listening. Exactly. Because of that. So I'm not worried. I think they're more likely to enjoy Radio Flyer than girls just want to have fun. But uh, when was the last time you saw this movie? Maybe two years ago. Okay. I've seen it recently. Um, Not super recently, but enough that I remember it pretty My guess is. A lot of the movies will be ones we've seen more recently just yeah. because of how you and I watch things. I think uh, Billie Jean and Radio Flyer were maybe outliers in that way. Yeah. <laughs> that we just kind of. Yeah. I've definitely watched this movie within the last five years, I'll say. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'm reading this summary again, and I'm, like, so excited to watch this. Oh, um, yeah. 
So if you haven't seen it, it is free. You can find it on um, Tubi and some of those other free, just Google Girls Just Want to Have Fun 1985. Yeah, I'm way pro Tubi. The network I started out on has a movie rewatch podcast that they try to only pick movies you can get for free on Tubi. Tubi is reliable. There are ads, but it's not like every two minutes. It's totally reasonable. And if you have um, Amazon Prime, if you're a terrible person that supports Jeff Bezos like I am and (laughs) wishes that I wasn't, um, it's on there for free if you have Amazon Prime also. Cool. With no commercials. And then... And also, I think you said the Roku channel. And then it's also a pretty cheap rental from like Redbox and stuff. You yeah. can get it for between two and four dollars, depending on where you rent from. The music I think I made you all pay like four ninety nine if you watch Radio Flyer. Three ninety nine. So sorry. Three ninety nine. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that is our movie for next week. Um, I'm already excited to watch this movie again, even though I've definitely seen it within the last five years. It is. <laughs> I'm excited. Talk about indelible, like. Okay, things that you may or may not know about me, Andrea, and also our mm-hmm. listeners. Um, I was, okay, I have to frame this by saying that I have, like, I only wear basically, like, black and denim. Mm-hmm. I I had, like, severe bangs and lots of tattoos in grad school. Like, that is... I think. I think you and I first connected because we felt like we were probably the, like... So I'm really excited for what you're about to say, because I think when you and I first connected, we were like, oh, we're like the weird offbeat kind of Mm -hmm. people who listen. I mean, we met through New New Jersey's world, but I just mean like who had a lot of those things in common. Like I think one of our first conversations was about mall rats, for example, that kind of thing. And I related real hard to Daria. Like, you know, I, I, I am a pretty dry person. Mm -hmm. Um, I was a cheerleader (laughs) from second to eighth grade. I was captain of the dance team in fifth grade. Second um, to eighth grade is a long chunk of time to be. And Saddlebrook took cheerleading very seriously. I went to the <laughs> NCA camp one year, National Cheerleading Association camp. It was also what I realized I needed to stop cheerleading. Uh-huh. That was in eighth grade. But um, we were very But it's in there. We it's were in very your... good. It is in my DNA. I was yeah. captain of the dance team because even though I had no friends and was not popular, I was the best dancer on the cheerleading squad. So... So it wasn't a popularity contest. No, it was, it like, was merit-based. You took based. it very seriously. It was merit-based. I took it very seriously. Um, I was also in gymnastics. I was a swing dancer in my 20s. Like, I there's, I have a very, very strong, like, dance background. Uh-huh. Not that I was ever wonderful at it. I was fine. I was acceptable. I, I was great you when were. I was in fifth grade, you know? But um, so this is the other side of my personality that i'm really excited to i love this revisit. this is very exciting for me yeah yeah the the final i'll i'll talk about it after but the final uh scene and or number in this movie was very important to me as a as a dance person oh i i i genuinely can't wait i'm so excited to watch this movie and it's gonna be really fun all about how this uh contributes to your yeah your also, cultural makeup it has 4.8 stars on amazon so i'm not the only person that loves this movie um uh, well it's got two out of four on roku so we'll Ooh. okay <laughs> wait what's it's rotten what's tomatoes? the rotten tomatoes oh not good 36 percent, <laughs> but only 14 votes that's not a representative sample oh that seems really low oh you know why okay the tomato meter is 36 percent. the audience score is 77 percent 
Okay. That's difference. That's a difference. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of care less about critical reception of a movie called Girls Just Want to Have Fun. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'll yeah. be interested to. Right. Yeah. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. I'll drop a link on the where to stream, but you can find it lots yeah. of places. Somebody referred to it on Rotten Tomatoes as a wonky pop culture time capsule, which is, I think, appropriate. Ooh, I love that. That everything you're saying is making me more excited to watch this movie. Okay. So that's next week. That's next week. I'm going to wrap up this week the way we always do. Um, I have uh, a new five-star review that I want to share. I already shared it on Instagram because I read it and like teared up a little bit Mm -hmm. and then shared it with you. And it's just like, it really, it's, it has been so nice to hear that people are enjoying this show when we're talking about yellow jackets for sure. And that like, people who listen to all of the yellow jackets podcast when they listen to ours tend to really like it yeah i was a little nervous about the off season yeah. to be totally honest because now you're just kind of it's just us it's, it's just us movies yeah they so, mean a lot to us yeah this review from complex junkie uh that that we recently got really means so so much so i'm just going to share that um they said i'm so happy to have found a link to this on reddit at the beginning of the second season every episode feels like i'm having a discussion with friends even if you're just looking for a great Yellow Jackets podcast, I very much encourage you to stick around for their off-season content. Yay. I could literally listen to these hosts talk for days. That's so sweet. Which is good because we often do, do. <laughs> talk yes. for days. Yes. So, I have said before that I, these are conversations that Andrea and I would be having anyway. It's just mm-hmm. that we decided to put them on a microphone and hope other <laughs> exactly. people wanted to hear them too. It's um, a sickness I have. Although yeah. I, say, I say that, but it's... This is the first, that's the other thing, as I maybe have said this already, but this is the first podcast I started and wasn't invited on by, by someone, someone else. else. This is yeah. the first podcast where I was like, oh, I have something yeah. that I want to talk about. And so um, I have to say it's, it's also very... the only one that hasn't become my day job in some right. way or another. It's just what I'm right. doing because I really love talking with you about these movies. Yeah. And listeners have been It's so also very hard that. for me to watch you say sincere things with a giant buffalo behind you. <laughs> The buffalo and I are both crying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, God. So, yeah. So, thank you all so, yeah. so much. The reviews mean so much. Um, and we'll have a good giggle next week. Um, yeah. I, I'm sure we'll find some way to make it slightly depressing or about the <laughs> patriarchy, because I guarantee you that's in there. But, Is uh, it set in Jersey? I wish it was set in Jersey. Oh, I can't wait to figure out what our somewhere. Figure out what our Jersey connection is. We'll get oh, there's there. definitely a Jersey connection. Oh, good. there's got to be. I'm sure we'll find one. So yeah, so follow us on Watcherspot NJ on Instagram and Twitter. Um, you can follow me. My art account is Jody underscore Mim J O D I E underscore M I M on Instagram. Andrea, where can they find you? I'm at AQ Andrea Q on Twitter. And um, Instagram, I'm more active on Instagram. Yeah, it's still Twitter. It's yeah, I'm never calling it anything else. You could go ahead, go ahead, buddy. Um, yeah, and do whatever you, you can want. always, always email us at WatchersPodNJ. Um, leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else. But if I think Apple Podcasts is the only one where you can really also leave a review, and if you do that, um, mm-hmm. we're we we love to share them on the podcast. It makes us both very happy. Um, yeah, we're just doing this because we want to. Like, you know, we don't have that sock money mm-hmm. yet. We're just having Some, fun. So we appreciate right. it. Yeah. So give us a listen. Uh, or give us a listen. You are <laughs> listening. That was a weird thing to say. <laughs> so thank you for listening is what I think I meant yeah, to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, this has been The Watchers. I have been Andrea. And uh, I am still Jody. And we will see you next week. See you next week. <laughs> Bye. Bye.